Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. You made it back to church. Give yourselves a round of applause. You did it. We're here. This is what we've been looking forward to all week, and we're in Luke chapter number 5, verses 27 through 32. In the final sermon in the series, Dark Horses, Jesus Picks His Team, number 5 is the grand finale of this sermon, and it bridges into our next sermon series next week. We're going to talk about Disruptor. But before we do, let's get into this one. It's entitled, Jesus and the Tax Collector. And you just saw the demonstration of what that would have been like. Jesus arrives and picks a tax collector to be a part of his team. How many of you are paying your taxes right now? How many of you are paying them right now? How many of you have already, I'm interested, how many of you right now, you've already finished your taxes and they're filed, they're done? How many of you like that? Raise your hand. How many of you? All right. Same people who uh, buy their Christmas presents in November. Very good. <laughs> how many of you, you're like, not yet. It's not done yet, but I'm going to get it done. How many of you like that? Okay. About half of us. All right. Very good. And how many of you are like, eh, next year, maybe the year after, I'll put it all together. I'm going to do 10 years together. Some IRS agents looking for you right now, and you're in trouble. Well, tax collecting is uh, universal, right? They say there are only two things that happen across the board, death and taxes. And it's true, even during the time of Jesus, there were people who took up taxes. But there wasn't just the community tax. You see, in Israel, they had Jewish taxes that they had to pay to the Jewish community. But they also had an overlord. They also had another government that had come in and taken over this co their country. The Romans, they were the ones that they had to give extra taxes to. And the Roman taxes were like, I mean, exorbitant and really problematic. And so that's the person that Jesus goes to, a tax collector. A tax collector that would have actually been of the people, selected out of the people, and collaborating with the Romans to tax his own people. This guy was not a good guy, but nonetheless, Jesus selects him. And that's the story that we're about to see. Maybe you're here thinking today, I don't know who you are. Some of you are new here. Maybe you're, you're thinking to yourself, man, Pastor Josh, I'm here in church, and I'm the last person that should be in church. I mean, I'm surprised that the building didn't collapse in on me when I came in. I'm surprised a lightning bolt didn't strike me dead the moment I walked into church. I'm not sure that I'm a religious person. I'm not sure that I should be here. Listen to me. Listen to me. You're actually the perfect person to be here today. You're, you're glad you're here. You are welcome in this place. There are a lot of churches you may not be welcome in, but you are welcome here. Now, maybe you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, Pastor Josh, that is not me. In fact, quite the opposite. These people better get their act together if they want me to stick around. Okay, all right. God love you. Nobody else does. God love you. But here's the deal. No, but here's the problem. God does love you. Here's the deal. You are not going to like this sermon. There are a lot of parts of this sermon you're going to be really angry, and some of you might even get tempted to get up and leave. Don't do it. It'll be embarrassing for you and everybody. But this part, it's going to be like, be on the edge of your seat, because I'm going to say some stuff here today. Uh, why? Because here's the main thought. The main thought of the sermon is Jesus only saves sinners. 
Jesus only saves sinners. Say it with me. Jesus only saves sinners. Have you ever heard before Jesus saves sinners? Have you ever heard that before? Jesus saves sinners. Jesus saves sinners, but that's not what I said. I said Jesus only saves sinners. Now, you might be here today and you're like, but, I, but what, if, what if you're one of me? What if you're not a sinner? Okay, I got some bad news for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jesus only saves sinners. And so we're going to get to that as the main thought of the sermon, but it really is the focus of the second half of the sermon, the theologically rich part of the sermon. But we're going to open with a practical side because there are two things to learn. In this sermon from this passage, verse 27 through 32, I want you to learn to be a Matthew, and then number two, to be on mission. Be a Matthew, be, a, be on mission. Let's go to that first part of the sermon, verses 27 and following, be a Matthew. Can you say part one with me? Be a Matthew. Say it with me again. Be a Matthew. Look at what it says in verse 27. After these things, he, that is Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. From the gospel of Matthew, we learn he's also referred to as Matthew. Went by two names, like a lot of you have a first and a second name and even a surname, three names. That'd be confusing to a Roman. All right, so he had two. This is Matthew or Levi. And the Bible says he was sitting at his tax office. Oh, he was a tax collector. Okay. And Jesus said to him, no, I won't pay your taxes. Is that what he says? No. He says, follow me. So if you're going to be a Matthew, number one, we learn, to be a Matthew, you need to follow Jesus. Now, understand why this is such a big deal. You have to understand what a tax collector was. A tax collector was not like if you happen to work for the IRS today and you don't tell your friends, I understand. But if you happen to work for the IRS, you're not a villain. You're trying to just do your job. The tax collectors of the day were especially corrupt. Like they were bad people. They were villains. I say tax collector, you say boo. Tax collector. Okay. And I'm specifically <laughs> the Americans. You're like, yeah, yeah. I remember the T tax. Okay, relax. All right, all right. The tax collectors of the day, bad problems. And the way they were corrupt was they would, they had a specific amount that anybody would owe that the Romans told them. And then they would go to an individual and they would ask for more than that was owed. Right, they would come to you and say, hey Jordan, how's business? Great. Yeah, it's great. Fantastic, good to know Jordan. According to the Romans, you owe the Romans. And they would read on their paper that only they were privy to, 50 shekels. According to this, you owe us uh, 100 shekels. Give me your money. Not me, I'm serious. Give me your, no, okay, all right, all right. And the tax collector would take the 100 shekels, he would take 50 and pass it on to the Roman Empire, and he would take the other 50 and pocket it himself. He was corrupt. Imagine this happened to you. Imagine you're getting your taxes done, right? You're getting your taxes done at H&R Block, and they come to you and they're like, all right, we got your taxes done. Apparently, it looks like you owe $3,000, but in reality, the government owes you a reimbursement of $2,000, and instead of giving you a reimbursement check, they take your reimbursement check, they take it themselves, and they charge you $3,000. You don't, they don't send it to the IRS. They keep it for themselves. How many of you think this is a good guy or a bad guy? It's corrupt. It's fraud. They're called tax collectors. Boo, right? That's the tax collector of the day. It was a bad situation. That's who Matthew is. And it's this guy that Jesus says, I want you on my team. 
Now, if you were a person during this day and age, listen, honestly, you've been watching the, the, the message of Jesus. You would have been looking at him. You're like, man, this Jesus guy is cool. He's turning like, you know, uh, he's, he's, he's turning uh, uh, water into wine and he's feeding people with bread and fishes. And he's like, you know, he's kind of sticking it to the man, the Pharisees. I kind of like this guy. And then all of a sudden, he picks a tax collector who you hate. And now you see this guy's following Jesus. You're like, I'm not sure if I want to follow Jesus. Maybe you're the type of person, though, that's thinking to themselves, wait a second, if Jesus picks bad guys, do you think he might pick me? Listen to me, listen to me very carefully. Jesus only picks bad guys. He only picks villains. He only picks sinners. Number one, if you're gonna be a Matthew, you better follow Jesus if he gives you a chance. Number two, if you're gonna be a Matthew and you follow Jesus, you better get ready for change. Like you gotta change, you're gonna change. Change in some big ways. Say, how exactly do you change? Everything. Now, some of you might say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm like a believer in Jesus, but I don't think anything's changed. Okay, great, here's the thing. You're not a follower of Jesus. You say, I don't know about that, pastor. You say, if you meet Jesus, everything changes. Okay, let us be very clear. If you believe you've met Jesus and nothing has changed, you never met Jesus, you got religious. Because if you have a true interaction with Jesus Christ, your world does shift. There's some major things that shift at the beginning, such as, well, your destiny from hell to heaven. And then slowly he changes you day by day, and you become a different person. Who are you becoming? You are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That's supposed to happen in your life if it hasn't happened. And if it isn't happening, you have to question whether or not you've ever been saved in the first place. Get ready for change. Now, what changed with him? Look at the next verse. The Bible tells us in verse number 28, so Matthew left all, rose up, and followed Jesus. You know how much changed for Matthew? He had to even change his job. Hey, by the way, sometimes that happens. Sometimes if you're a follower of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, if your job is corrupt, you actually have to change your career. It's not always the case. Not always does somebody have to change their career, but sometimes it does have to happen. It's happened many times here in the years that I've been a pastor. I sat down with a guy years ago and um, he was talking over a cup of coffee with me and he said, Pastor, I think I I'm getting pretty serious following Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm so proud of you. He said, I think I got to quit my job. I said, why? He said, well, I, I, I sell timeshares. And I said, there's nothing wrong with timeshares. <laughs> timeshares are good. Like it helps people. I'm serious. Timeshares are good. They help people go on vacation. I said, that's great. I love vacation. That sounds like a great. He said, yeah, pastor, I'm not saying all timeshares are corrupt. He said, but in my job, I'm literally instructed to lie in order to sell those timeshares. This is what he said to me. I didn't know. For that job, I'm just that one, that business, I guess, his boss has told him to lie. I said, really? He said, yeah, and if I don't, I don't sell enough, and then I'm in trouble. He said, Pastor, I think I have to change my careers if I'm going to keep following Jesus. So that's what happens with Jesus followers. Your life, like, gets turned upside down. I have a pastor buddy in town. He told me a beautiful story, and this has happened here at Southern Hills, but I'm going to tell his story so I don't affect this community. He said, Josh, let me tell you a story without giving names. I said, sure. He said, I I was sitting with a couple in our church 
and they'd just gotten saved and baptized. Their life is changing. They're following Jesus now. And he said, um, they sat down with me and said, Pastor, we have to give up our business. Now, he said, Josh, these people are making good money. Their home is gorgeous. I mean, they're bringing in well over six figures every single year. He said, why do you have to give up your business? They said, well, now that we're following Jesus, I don't think we've talked about it. I don't think what we do, I don't think I can keep taking video and photos of my wife and posting them and, and still follow Jesus. And the pastor said, you're right, you can't not be follower of Jesus and do this. Now, again, in some people's mind, you might be thinking, well, you can still do anything you want and follow Jesus Christ. You can't go two directions and follow Jesus. You can only go one direction and follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, your life begins to shift even to the place where you have to change your career sometimes if the job is corrupt. At Southern Hills, in this community, I would never give names, but you have to understand, in this community, we have drug dealers who have left lucrative careers. We have prostitutes who have gotten real careers. We have exotic dancers who have moved into fields that help people rather than hurt people. That's what Jesus does. And Jesus can do that for you. I'm not saying it's easy to walk away from money. What I'm saying is if you follow Jesus, sometimes it means you walk away from money. Now, you might ask yourself practically, and we gotta be quick and move on. Practically, you might be asking yourself, well, how do I know if I should move away from a career? Three things that'll help you real practical. Number one, if your job harms people rather than helps people, it's a corrupt job, you need to leave it. And you have to be honest with yourself because humans can make themselves believe anything we want, right? You have to be honest with yourself. If your job harms rather than helps people, you're not a, you can't be a follower of Jesus and keep that job. Number two, if your job devalues your human dignity, my brother or sister, listen to me. You are a human being created in the image of God. There's nothing that you should do that devalues your human dignity in order to gain wealth. Nothing, nothing. And then number three, if you can't bring glory to God while doing your job, you need to not do that job. Meaning this, if you can't go into your job saying, God, I'm doing this for you. I hope you receive glory from what I'm about to do. If you can't do that, you should quit your job. God will provide a new one. It's not easy, but we've seen it over and over and over. Now, some of you still might be thinking to yourself, uh, well, what, what about my job? There are parts that might be a little bit corrupt. I've had many disciples of Jesus who have had to not quit their job, but they have to adjust their jobs. Like, I'll give you an example. Doormen and valet, there are many doormen and valet in Las Vegas that come to Southern Hills. But I've had disciples of Jesus tell me I have to adjust what I do and I have to give up certain avenue of income streams. And if you're a doorman or valet, you know where I'm going with this, where no longer are there certain clients that I can hook them up with drugs and, and prostitutes and whatever else. I have to say no to those things. Why? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. The other valets, and by the way, that doesn't mean you look at the other valets, who do you think you are? No, like they're not followers of Jesus, you are. And so you have to be different. And God will replace those funds if he so chooses to in other ways. Now, you're still unsure. You're like, I'm not sure about my job. Here's what you do. You're part of a church, which means you can schedule a meeting with a pastor or a deacon. There are lots of great pastors and deacons. I put them up here every Sunday so you know who they are. They walk around, shake hands before service. And you should get to know them. You can ask them. Take them out to coffee and be like, okay, I need some help with this. Does this make sense? The, the point is this, when studying Matthew, if you're gonna be a Matthew, follow Jesus and get ready for big change. Number three, if you're gonna be a Matthew, number three, make a plan for evangelism. 
Okay, why? Here's why. Here's why. Because if Jesus saved you recently, that is, if you receive Christ as your Savior, start coming to church, your life is changing recently, here's what's happened. You were in a community of family, friends, coworkers, and neighbors. Your community, they are also lost. They don't know Jesus. Matthew, was he a sinner or was he a saint? Was he a sinner, yes or no? Yes, he was a sinner. Was Matthew a villain, yes or no? Yes, he was a villain, which means his whole community was sinners and villains. So what I love that Matthew does is Matthew does not cut them off. That's what I see a lot of Christians, big mistake, big mistake. I see a lot of people follow Jesus and they immediately be like, well, I guess I'm done with all those people. And then they isolate themselves only around Christians. I see another type of Christian that comes to church. They've been so isolated and only around Christians when I ask them, who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? They're like, I don't know. I only know Christians. That's a problem. So instead of cutting those people out of your life, do what Matthew does. And he, got re- he made a plan for evangelism. Smart guy. So what was his plan for evangelism? Oh, you're going to love this. This is really smart. Verse 29. So Matthew, where Levi, gave, him, uh, gave Jesus a great fe- a feast in his house. So Matthew's plan, because <laughs> he, he was a Pharisee, he was a sinner, was like, I should throw a party. Yes, Matthew, you should throw a party. And the person you should invite to the party is all of your sinner friends and Jesus. Like, how cool is that? He's like, hey, guys, we're going to have a blowout party. It's going to get crazy. Also, there's this guy I want you to meet there. And Jesus shows up. Oh, that is so, that is so awesome. Let me just stop and say this. Listen, listen, my friends, listen. Some of you have already thought of somebody you need to invite to Easter. In fact, let me ask. In here right now, God has already been working on your heart, a coworker, a neighbor, a relative, a friend, that you're like, man, I need to bring them to Easter. If that's you, maybe God hasn't spoke to your heart yet, but already God's beginning to work in your heart. I, need, I think I need to bring this. Has anybody, God's already been speaking, this is the person I'm going to bring to Easter? Raise your hand if that's you. How many of you? Okay, a lot of you. Okay, very good. If you haven't, begin praying to God, God, who should I bring? If you're one of those Christians who's only ever talked to Christians, get out of your zone, right? And go meet some un- unsaved people, bring them to church. Now, When you do this, I've got a plan for you. Get smart about how you do this. Don't just be like, hey, you should come with church, Easter. (laughs) Easter bunnies, (laughs) you know, like, I don't know, just come. Get smart about it. Instead, you could do something like Matthew does. Matthew gets really smart about it. If he wants his friends to meet Jesus, he would do something like this. Hey, we have Easter coming up in about a month. Um, do you have any plans on, uh, in fact, you could even text him and be like, do you have any plans on April 17th? I want to take you guys to lunch. Send. <laughs> yes, awesome. We'll go to church first and then I'll take you to lunch. <laughs> See, that's kind of tricky. Look at what Matthew did, man. Party time. Guess who's here? I'm the Messiah, right? This is, <laughs> this can be what you do. Some of you are very gifted with hospitality. Your homes are immaculate. They're beautiful. You love to host. You love to party. You love to have people over. That's fantastic. Use that skill set and do what Matthew does. Invite those people over, your friends. Don't keep your your non-church world and your church world separate. Bring them together. 
Bring them all over, have a big party, all the people that don't know Jesus, and then find that one deacon or that one pastor that really knows how to really work the crowd and talk to people about Jesus, and then bring them in and then tell them, okay, before everybody leaves, I want you to talk about Jesus for five minutes. You say, some of my friends will leave me. It's fine if they leave you, but don't you leave them. Bring them to Jesus. Some of your friends might get saved. Get smart about your evangelism. What I love about Matthew, oh, what I love about Matthew. What I love about Matthew is he followed Jesus, he changed, and he had a plan for evangelism. First point of the message, be a Matthew. I want you to say it with me. First point of the message, be a Matthew. Say it again, be a Matthew. Number two, be on mission. Be on mission. The church has a mission statement. Does anybody know what the mission statement of the church is? The purpose of the church is to what? Does anybody know? To make disciples for Jesus Christ. To make disciples. That's what we do. To make disciples. So when I say be on mission, you say make disciples. Be on mission. Be on mission. See, the mission of the church is to make disciples. Somebody says, the mission of the church is to preach the gospel. That's part of it. But we don't just tell people about Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, ask them to get saved. We then teach them how to follow Jesus for their whole life. Make disciples. If you're part of the church, be on mission. More on that in just a moment. So let's see verses 30 through 32. And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So again, this big party's going on. Jesus is hanging out with the bad guys, and um, they're these good guys. <laughs> Uh, they're called scribes and Pharisees. And the scribes and Pharisees, they're the religious elite. They're the better than you, you know, Sister Sue, better than you. You know what I'm talking about? And they're all standing on the street and they're watching as everybody walks up the hillside to where Jesus is with, the, with those Pharisees and or there's been there with those, those uh, sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. And you can picture, I don't know how it worked, maybe it's like Matthew and John and you know, Peter, and they're walking down the road up to the party. And as they're walking, they're like, hey, why? Why do you eat with such people? I thought Jesus was a man of God. Just arrogant, hypocritical, pharisaical, think themselves so much better, pompous, windbags. Let's see the Pharisees and scribes were. Now, this would have been mind-blowing to them because, again, in their mind, religious equaled separate. You get it? In fact, the word Pharisee means the separated ones, the separatists. The Pharisees thought of themselves as better than everybody else. Therefore, if they were around people that were not as good as them, well, that brought them down. They were elitists in the, in the purest sense of the word. They could not spend time with people of lower estate. They could not spend time with people down in the gutter. They could not spend time with people who were morally corrupt, like, mm, I'm, I'm of God, right? And so it's setting up this major dynamic, the separated ones. The Pharisees were so fastidious about this that they would not even have a meal with somebody who was not at their moral and financial and political caliber. They were the type of person that you're talking to face-to-face in a room full of people, and they're always looking over your shoulder to see if there's anybody more important in the room. 
You ever deal with this type of person? They wouldn't even talk to a certain person. So Jesus not only talks to these sinners, Jesus is like, hey, let's have a party, sit down and eat. And Jesus wants to be connected with sinners. Let me just stop and say, some of you in this room honestly, genuinely believe, and you've been lied to. You think to yourself, I could never be part of Jesus. I could never be part of what he does. I am way too screwed up. You're actually the type of person Jesus likes to be with. Trust me, from one screwed up person to another, you're the type of person Jesus wants to sit with. There's another type of person in the room, and that's the type of person who is shocked, is shocked, just just appalled at the way we spend time with certain types of people. You are the type of person who would not recognize Jesus if you lived during this day and age. And so what Jesus does, or what we see here, is to live on mission, and that's exactly what Jesus Christ is doing. Look at what it says in verses 31 through 32. So Jesus answered them. Now, I don't know how this worked, because they weren't in the room. They weren't necessarily, you know, part of the party. They would not come to the party. Maybe they were peeking in the windows of Matthew. Could you imagine? What are you doing in there with sinners? I don't know, but the Bible says Jesus somehow addresses them directly. Jesus answered and said to the Pharisees, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Maybe Jesus is just answering his disciples as they walked up the hill and they're sitting down and the disciples are like, Jesus, we were just asked by the, you know, the, the Pharisees, we were just asked, like, why are we with these messed up, screwed up people? And Jesus' answer is so cool. He's so great. I love that Jesus is not insecure in who he is. I love that he just owns what he's gonna do. I love that he's not brought down or intimidated by religious hypocrites. He says, look, guys, I'm a physician. Do physicians spend time with healthy people or with sick people? So I've come here to help sick people. Those people out there, they're already super healthy, aren't they? I like to imagine that the Pharisees and the scribes heard this from Jesus. If not, I hope you hear it. Jesus Christ has not come to save you if you're already righteous because you're already good without Jesus. Like, look up here, look up here. If you're here today and you're like, I don't think I need Jesus, awesome. Like, good luck. You're like, no, 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 you you don't understand. I kind of need Jesus, but the fact is I also need my religion and my denomination and I'm a pretty good person. And the fact is because of who my mom was, who my dad was, I'm pretty religious. This whole, you know, Jesus and grace alone stuff, I'm not sure. Awesome, good luck. You got you. Why? Because Because you're already amazing. You're not sick. Not like these sickos around you. We're, we're a bunch of sickos. And you don't need to, listen, I'm serious. You don't need to come and waste your Sundays with a bunch of weirdos like us. You should go home and up on a mountaintop with just you and God. because, And God will come and take notes from you on how you, he thinks. You know what I'm saying? Because you've got a lot of notes for us. You've got a lot of notes for God. You've got all sorts of things in your mind that need to, the world needs to be. Go tell God and maybe God will take notes from you. And, but leave us weirdo sickos alone. Because we're just a bunch of weirdos and sickos and sinners who need Jesus. And Jesus 
only saves sinners. Well, I'm, a, I'm not a sinner. Then you don't need Jesus. It's pretty simple what I'm saying, right? By the way, it's the entirety of all of what the New Testament says. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter, well, look, look at God only saves sinners. Look what it says in the next passage, Romans chapter five, verses six through eight. It says, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who did Christ die for? Who did Christ die for? Did Christ die for the godly? No, so if you're already godly without Christ, you don't need the death of Jesus. I'm talking to those in the room who think to themselves, well, I think I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. I think I'm going to heaven because I'm such and such religion. I think I'm going to heaven because, you know, I was baptized when I was, I don't remember. I think I'm going to heaven because I would, awesome. You go with your religion and maybe when you stand before God, God will be so pleased with how amazing you were. Me, when I die and stand before God, I'm going to be like, yeah, I don't deserve to be here, but I'm with Jesus. Because he did the thing on the cross and he paid for my sins. Because Christ died for the ungodly. Not for the godly. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the point. You can't get saved until you become a sinner. And if you don't see yourself as a sinner, you are big, big trouble because you can't get saved. Here's the bad news. Say, give me the bad news, Pastor. Bad news. Three of you, very good. Here's the bad news. Here's the bad news. Are you ready for it? Give me the bad news, Pastor. Give me the bad news. You're a sinner. Even though you may not realize it, you're like, but I'm one of the righteous ones. Bad news, you're a sinner. You're just as screwed up as the rest of us. The only difference is you're blind. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it, it says this. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands, there is none who seeks after God. If you're like, but I'm a very religious person, and I've sought God my whole life, I've studied all the religions, God would accept me. You are just as sinful as everybody, and you have self-righteousness on top of it, which means you're blind, and God won't save you. Because Jesus only saves sinners. You have to get to a place where you humble yourself and say, I am a sinner. God, I've offended you. My self-righteousness stinks more than their sin stinks. And the only way I'm going to heaven is not because I'm Catholic or Buddhist or Baptist. It's because you had grace on me and died for my wicked, godless sins. And that's how I'm saved. Salvation is not obtained because you get better and better. Salvation is obtained when you realize, I can't get any better. You gotta save me, God. I have no other hope. So does God save sinners, yes or no? Yes. Does God save tax collectors, yes or no? Yes. Does God save Pharisees? Well, I knew it. You're like, I don't know. Like, I'm pretty sure at this point they're the bad ones in the story, right? God will only save a Pharisee when they get to a place they realize they're more sinners than anybody else. Does anybody know of a Pharisee in the Bible who came to that realization? Nicodemus is one. Who's another? Paul. His name was Saul, and he was the most 
important young Pharisee in the temple. And God had to humble him, knock him off his high horse. This is my story. God had to humble me and knock me off of my religious, pharisaical, hypocritical high horse and save my wicked soul. He talks about it in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Notice how Paul describes himself, not as good enough without God. He describes himself, Jesus appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted the people of God. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was for me. He filled me with faith and love that came from Christ Jesus. This is a true saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then what does he say? And I'm the worst of all of them. See, the beautiful thing about a Pharisee is when he actually does come to Jesus, he doesn't even see himself as one of the sinners. He sees himself as the worst of the sinners. Friend, I'm concerned for some of your souls because religious people don't go to heaven. Sinners who get saved go to heaven. Last practical thought before we're done. This kind of helps you understand why our church works the way it does. Because the church isn't a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. Some people come into this church and then they leave as quickly as they can. <laughs> this happens all the time more than you would realize. People will come into this church and they'll leave as quickly as they can. And the reason is, is because I don't like some of the things that they do in this church. Mm. This isn't the way we did church in Kentucky. I'm from Connecticut, we're a little bit more subdued. And my church in California, <laughs> religious people, Pharisees, get all bent out of joint when the church does something a little different from the church that they came from. You're th I love you, I love you. If you're here like this, you're thinking like a Pharisee, not like a disciple. The reason this church does what it does is because we're not here to collect Christians from other places. There are a lot of churches in town that collect Christians. We're here to make disciples. So if you're looking for a museum that points to the past, that tells, pe tells people the, you know, the saints that we admire, great, that's awesome, they're out there. We are a, a hospital for sinners, which means you're gonna be around a lot of screwed up people. And the more you are, by the way, the more you realize how screwed up you are and you'll fit right in. I got a Yelp review. <laughs> now you know where the sermon came from. <laughs> it's true, man, I, I, I do. I, my, my daughter loves Yelp, Scarlett loves Yelp, and she'll send Yelp reviews to me. I got, I got a Yelp review that said, too much humor. Pastor thinks he's a comedian. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's like, I get it, right? Yeah, yeah, I get it. That's fine. She went on to say, very irreverent. Can't you just hear the tone of voice? Very irreverent. <laughs> Church is extremely irreverent. <laughs> Even the way he says irreverent bothers me. 
some of you are thinking, Pastor, be careful. Pharisees won't want to come to our church. They have a lot of places that they'll like and enjoy. Thank you. I really like you. <laughs> so what's the point? If, the, I guess the point is go on Yelp and give us a good review. I don't know. <laughs> the point is this. If what you're looking is for a religious institution that will remind you of what, the way you grew up, fine. You, you're a consumer. You're an American. You like to go find things and buy them. Go buy what you want. This place was never established to capitulate to Christians and their preferences. It was a place that was established to make disciples for Jesus. And so what we do, everything we do here, from the music to the preaching to the events to the schedule to the building, everything we do is about one thing. It's about how can we make more disciples for Jesus Christ. I like what C.T. Studd said. He's a preacher. By the way, isn't that the greatest name of a preacher of all time, C.T. Studd? It's a true, it's a true, look it up, it's a true preacher. I like what he said, I'll end with this. Some want to live within the sound of a church bell. I want to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. Pastor Josh, why do you live in Las Vegas? That's why we live in Las Vegas. Let's pray, Father. I'm thankful that we live in a place that is known as a place of sin, but we've seen it become a place of grace, a place of salvation, a place of spirit-filled, genuine disciple-making. And Lord, my prayer is that we would continue to be that. For the Matthews in the room who are just starting the journey, I pray that you would help them as they follow you and change and evangelize their community. And for the Pharisees, Father, those of us who have had a different path that need knocked off of our high horses so that we can focus on the mission of making disciples. I pray, Father, you would do that for us. Thank you for this passage, and thank you for picking dark horses. I'll never be able to thank you enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.